What is up, everybody? It is JT Sports. I am back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about how Travis Hunter's commitment to Jackson State impacts HBCUs. Should the college football playoffs be expanded? I'm going to be revisiting the debate. And lastly, I'm going to be venting my frustrations about the scheduling and college football because, quite frankly, it makes no sense. It's stupid. Now, if this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure you go ahead and follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at JT Sports underscore. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JT Sports underscore. And lastly, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. Now, as you guys already know, Travis Hunter, who is ranked as the number one player in his recruiting class, flipped from Florida State to Jackson State. It made tons of headlines. It was trending on Twitter. And there were a lot of people who were asking me, JT, what is the impact of Travis Hunter going to Jackson State? What is it going to mean for the rest of the HBCUs out there? Because I have a couple of friends who currently attend FAMU, and they were asking me, you know, like, what will Travis Hunter bring to not only Jackson State, but to HBCUs as a whole, like or more high-profile players like four and five stars going to end up going to more HBCUs? Like, what's going to happen? Well, I feel like Travis Hunter going to Jackson State is kind of, you know, like a Jackson State thing. You look at Deion Sanders, He is one of the greatest cornerbacks to ever play the game. Travis Hunter is a cornerback. He also plays wide receiver as well. And on top of that, I feel like Deion Sanders has connections that a lot of other HBCUs don't have. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this doesn't mean anything for the rest of the HBCUs out there because if you are currently running an HBCU or you're the head coach of an HBCU school and you're coaching football or basketball, you can definitely learn from this because with the NIL and college athletes being able to get compensated for their name and likeness, it's going to open up opportunities to see guys like Travis Hunter end up leaving, you know, these big time division one schools like Alabama and Clemson end up going to a Jackson state because you have opportunities to make money, get sponsorships, get endorsements. So really, if you're an HBCU and you're trying to recruit a five or four star athlete, you got to be able to make sure that you're that you have sponsorships set, set in place or you have NIL opportunities set in place for these guys to be able to make some cash because that's one of the biggest reasons why Jackson State was able to attract Travis Hunter is because not only did they have Coach Prime as their head coach but he also was able to have some connections out there and he's able to find ways to get Travis Hunter and other guys some NIL deals and for 
schools like FAMU, I know that they have like a little partnership with LeBron James and Nike. Maybe they can try to find ways to get some NIL deals involved where they can kind of pitch the recruits and say, hey, if you come to FAMU, you know, we can kind of get you a little sponsorship or endorsement deal going on with Nike. It's things like that. Like those NIL deals are going to be really big for schools like HBCUs if they're ever going to end up attracting big name players coming out of high school like Travis Hunter. Then you have Tennessee State. They have Eddie George as their head coach. Like I love HBCUs. As I mentioned, I have a lot of friends who attend HBCUs. But if you're going to end up trying to lure these athletes away from schools like Alabama and Clemson, it's most likely going to be because of NIL. So you have to make sure that you have some big time NIL opportunities to make these four and five star recruits say, hey, okay, maybe I should go ahead and give these HBCUs a chance. Now, if I was a five star or four star athlete, I probably would end up going to HBCU anyway, because I'm somebody who doesn't really care where I would play football at. Don't really care about the fancy facilities and whatnot. Like, I'm really somebody who's big on the culture. I'm big on the atmosphere. Like, I have to be in love with the campus before I end up going ahead and signing my name on the dotted line and saying that, hey, I'm going to spend the next three, four years of my life playing for your football program. I don't want to be there just for football. I also want to be there because I love the campus and I love the atmosphere. And definitely the HBCU experience is definitely something that can't be replicated anywhere else. Like you have to go to an HBCU to really get the feel of it. It definitely is a great experience. It's a fun time. I think that Travis Hunter is going to have a pretty great three, four years of his life is going to be very good for him at Jackson State. I think he's going to have a very great time there. And on top of that, everybody has the argument that says, well, he's not going to go to the NFL or you can't go to the NFL if you play for HBCU. Like, that's not true. Like, there are plenty of players in the past that have played for HBCUs like Jerry Wise. Right now, Tyreek Cohen, running back for the Chicago Bears, hasn't played much this season, but he went to North Carolina and if I'm not mistaken. So if you're a baller and you can play, you're going to get scouts. You're going to attract eyes anywhere you go, especially if you have a coach like Deion Sanders who has connections. And we're starting to see more former players end up taking these HBCU coaching jobs like um, Eddie George is currently the head coach of Tennessee State. So really, when it comes to being able to get to the pros from an HBCU school, that definitely can happen. Like, even Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was drafted in the first round out of North Dakota State. Same thing with Trey Lentz. He was drafted out of uh, FCS school. Like, if you can ball, the scouts are going to go wherever the talent is. So, going to HBCU doesn't really lower your chances of making it to the NFL or whatnot. That's a popular narrative that a lot of people keep throwing out there and it's really false. On top of that, I feel like Travis Hunter is going to bring you more eyes because anytime Jackson State plays another HBCU school is going to have a lot of attention because everybody wants to see how Travis Hunter is going to perform. So not only does it put the spotlight on Jackson State but it's also going to put a spotlight on on any other teams that they end up matching up against. So for HBCUs, 
I don't feel like Travis Hunter is going to have a big impact in terms of the broader landscape of HBCUs. I still feel like this is kind of a one-off thing simply for the fact that this is Deion Sanders and on top of that, Deion Sanders has a lot of connections, but I definitely feel like this is something that other HBCUs can learn from and take this into consideration that, hey, if you're going to go after some of these big time high school athletes, you got to make sure that you have some NIL deals set in place that can lure those athletes to your HBCU. So that's my take on the whole Travis Hunter to Jackson State thing. I feel like his impact really isn't going to be as huge as what a lot of people think it is because I was on a Twitter space and there were a lot of HBCU students talking about what this means for HBCU programs and the impact really isn't going to be that large in terms of bringing other athletes to HBCUs but I definitely feel like with NIL now in place I feel like other HBCUs are not going to start finding ways to get more NIL deals for athletes to get more highly ranked players to come play for their programs now a couple of months ago in the off season, there were a group of people, I call them the college football expansionist party. And basically, they were saying that the college football playoffs needs to be expanded because four teams isn't cutting it. And the first thing that they said for why the college football playoffs needs to be expanded is well we need more parity in college football we have the same four teams in every year as Alabama Clemson Oklahoma Ohio State like we need some new blood well what happens this season well Alabama's still in, but Georgia makes it back to the playoffs for the first time in a while. Then you have Michigan and you have Cincinnati at G5 school, which was another reason why everybody wanted to advocate for college football expansion when it came to the playoffs because they said, oh, well, these G5 schools don't have a shot of making it in. Like they practice hard. They bust their tails all summer, all spring, and they don't even have a shot. Now Cincinnati's in. So what is your argument now? Well, now you have some people telling me on Twitter. I was going back and forth with one person saying that all Cincinnati's only in because the committee had no choice because they didn't have anybody else to put over Cincinnati. Okay, like everybody knew that Cincinnati was going to get in. They were going to need some help. Before the season, I actually had Cincinnati in the college football playoffs. And a lot of people in the comment section said, you really think that Cincinnati's going to get in? So you're basically saying that you don't think Clemson or Ohio State or even Oklahoma are going to get in and I said yep so really the problem with the college football playoffs I don't really think there is one when it comes to four teams the only reason why people want to expand is either because they want to see more bowl games or they want to see more playoff games and two they want their school to have another shot at getting in and by expanding the college football playoffs all you're going to do is make it more easier for schools like Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson to get in. Like, you want parity. The only reason why Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are not dominating every single year is because we only have four teams, so the margin of error is really small. Meanwhile, if you expand the college football 
playoffs to eight teams, 12 teams. You're going to make it even more easier for Alabama, Clemson, those blue blood college football programs to get in because now they don't have to worry about losing one game and not being included. Now they can lose two games and still get in. Like, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, you want parity in college football. The best way to ensure parity is by keeping four teams because then if you expand it, you're going to open up the opportunity for Ohio State and other schools who have a loss or two to get in. Like, if we had an eight-team college football playoffs right now this season, Ohio State would be in. We would still have the same programs in the college football playoffs every single season. The only reason we why we don't see those same schools in year in and year out repeatedly dominating this sport is because you're only allowed to have four teams in this thing. You want to expand it to eight teams, then 12. We're going to see Alabama in this thing for the next two decades. And I don't think nobody wants that. So if you're going to bring about parity, I think the only way to ensure parity And to, you know, limit the amount of dominance that we see in this thing is by keeping it at four teams. Now, then on top of that, you got the little auto bids discussion, like how is that going to work? Are you going to have an at-large bid to a G5 school or at-large bid to, you know, your conference champions? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to see a four-loss Pac-12 team in the college football playoffs. I don't want to see a four-loss G5 school in the college football playoffs because, quite frankly, a lot of G5 schools aren't as talented as what Cincinnati is. And on top of that, for a G5 school to get into the playoffs, it never was that the committee had a bias against G5 schools. It's just that there has never really been a G5 school that has played a legitimate schedule with legitimate opponents, such as what Cincinnati was able to do this year. Cincinnati was able to schedule an Indiana, a Notre Dame, and on top of that, they got lucky that Houston was as good as what they were, and they were able to beat them in the American Athletic Conference Championship game. So that also helped boost their resume. Like, If we're going to make the argument for G5 schools being in the college football playoffs, we need to be going hard to make sure that we can fix scheduling in college football, which is something that I'm about to get into in a couple of minutes. But really, the whole idea that the college football playoffs needs to be expanded is because, oh, we need more parity. Well, we have three different teams. We have three new teams essentially in the college football playoffs like Georgia has made it back in for the first time in a while. Then you got Michigan and Cincinnati who had less than a 1% chance of making it into the playoffs at the start of this year. So you have your new teams there. Like, why is nobody satisfied? You got your G5 school in there in Cincinnati. Nobody's still satisfied. It's like in life, you can never really satisfy somebody. That's like somebody telling you, hey man, can you get me a bag of chips? They don't tell you the kind of chips they want. They just say, hey, man, just give me a bag of chips. So you go in the corner store and you bring back some Fritos and they're not happy with the fact that you brought back Fritos. No knock against Fritos, but nobody really cares for Fritos. You ever brought the little variety pack of chips from the store? They got like Doritos, Funyuns, Ruffles, and you got Fritos there. Like Fritos are the bag of chips that people only eat because they already ate all of the other chips. You already ate your Doritos, your Funyuns, and your Ruffles, and the only thing you got left are your Fritos. So nobody's happy with that. Nobody's happy that you ask them to do something, you come back and you do it for them, and they're still not satisfied. Like, people always want more. Like Mike Leach say, the only way to really satisfy everybody is just go ahead and make a 60-14 college football playoffs and just go ahead and put everybody in. Give everybody a shot to compete. Like, 
is nothing wrong with the four team system. And really, to be honest with you, I don't really feel like there's been too many years when the committee has got it wrong. Like the only time people have had a lot of issues with the committee is when Notre Dame has been put in. Because then you have the whole argument of, well, Notre Dame's not in the conference. They didn't play a conference championship game. They don't have that extra data point in there. Like, how do you properly assess Notre Dame? Like, other than Notre Dame, I feel like the committee has got it right more times than not. But of course, everybody's not going to be happy because with four teams, somebody's going to get left out. But if you expand it to eight teams, somebody's still going to get left out. If you expand it to 12, somebody's still going to get left out. If you expand it to 64, there's still going to be some teams that people feel should have got in who got left out. Like it doesn't matter how many times you expand this thing. You're still going to have some teams who are going to get left out. That's just that's just what happens. Everybody can't participate in this thing. This is an exclusive club. The college football playoffs is meant to honor the best teams in college football. And the more you expand it, the more you dilute the sport. You're going to take away from the regular season. And everybody's talking about some, well, JT, now the regular season is going to mean more if you put in auto bids because then you're going to have to win your conference champions. Okay, but what about your at-large team? So you're basically telling me a two or three loss Alabama team makes the regular season mean something? Four four teams in the college football playoffs means that you can only get in by maybe only losing one game. And even if you lose one game, you still might not get in. Like that makes the regular season have meaning. Okay? The more you expand this thing, the less you the less meaning the regular season has because then the more losses that you have you still have a good shot of getting in like two losses three losses you still gotta have a shot of getting in in a 12 team college football playoffs even the 18 college football playoffs it just depends on how the committee views the teams and views the losses and views the you know quality opponents that they played and the strength of wins like the more you expand the playoffs, the less meaning that you're going to take away from the regular season. And on top of that, the college football playoffs has already hurt bowl season. You wonder why these players keep opting out and keep saying meaningless bowl games because pretty much everybody has been told over the last couple of years, if you're not in the playoffs, you're you're irrelevant. Nobody cares. Like, that's what's hurting the sport. The college football playoffs is hurting the sport. And what you want to do, you want to expand it more to hurt the sport even further? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. You already got what you've been asking for. You got your parody. You got new teams in this joint. You also got your G5 school in this joint. What more do you want? What what more do you want? Like Mike Lee said, we might as well go ahead and expand this thing to 64 teams. Hell, we might as well go ahead and put 128 teams in there. Let's just go ahead and have 128 team college football playoffs. Let's just have five regular season games. And then after that, we just have a battle royale in this thing. Like, I don't really understand why people continue to push this narrative that the college football playoffs need to be expanded. It's good with four teams. If your team loses a game and they don't get in, oh, well, that's on them. Win your games and you don't have to worry about not being included. And if you're a G5 school, make sure that you go ahead and schedule some good opponents. But I know it's kind of hard to do that because scheduling in college football is broke, which leads me to my next topic. 
everybody's talking about, oh, we need to expand the college football playoffs, but you know what we need to get trending right now? You know what is the biggest problem in college football right now? This doggone scheduling. Everybody's so focused on expanding the college football playoffs. How about we focus on fixing the stupid scheduling system that we have in this sport right now? It makes no sense why we're in the year of 2021-2022 and you have teams scheduling games two decades in advance. What the heck are people doing scheduling games for 2040? Does that make any sense? Why are we scheduling games for 3045? We're scheduling years 100. We're scheduling games 100 years in advance. That makes no sense. Everybody's focused on fixing the college football playoffs. We need to fix this doggone scheduling system. It makes no sense. Why are schools picking who they play? Why doesn't the NCAA have a department that creates the schedules? We have a department that creates the conference schedules. Why don't they have a department that just creates the out-of-conference schedules? Why don't they just randomize it? It makes no sense. If you randomize it, everybody ends up playing somebody. You either play a cupcake or you play a good team. Like Nobody wants to go out there in week one and schedule a top-ranked you know, um, G5 school because... You know, like, if you're Alabama, why do you want to play Cincinnati week one? Outside the fact that, you know, you're a competitor and I know that Alabama isn't shying away from anything, but I'm just giving you guys a little example. Why would I want to schedule a top-ranked G5 school and then they'll risk in my season? Because if I beat them, I don't really gain that much from them. And if I lose to them, I have everything to lose. I have everything to lose and nothing to gain. That's why the scheduling in college football has to be fixed. I believe that I was watching a video. I was watching a preview of Alabama and Cincinnati on Mark Rogers' channel. Make sure you go ahead and check out his channel. He's kind of like the godfather of college football on YouTube. I've been watching him for like over six, seven years now. And one of the guys he had on there when he was talking about Cincinnati, he was talking about how the Cincinnati and Notre Dame game came about. That game was scheduled like 10 years ago. Are we serious right now? Are we serious right now? We want to expand the playoffs to give more G5 schools a chance to get again the college football playoffs. But how about we go ahead and fix the scheduling so these G5 schools that are actually good can schedule some quality opponents and they don't have to wait 10 or 100 years in advance to play a good quality team. How about that? We're so focused on the wrong problems. We're focused on the wrong issues. The playoffs is not the problem in college football. The problem is this stupid scheduling and it needs to be fixed. Instead of having Alabama opening this season against, you know, um, a Division II school and Whoville University, instead of allowing Alabama to play schools like Duke to open their season or allow them to play the, the Grinches of Whoville University to open up their season, how about we just have a department in the NCAA Athletic Association, we just have a little department that just picks who these schools play and it's just random, like how the NFL does their scheduling. Like, I don't really understand why the scheduling in college football is the way that it is. It makes no sense. Now, I understand that, you know, a lot of big schools like Alabama pay smaller schools to play them. I understand that. But I don't really understand why we have to wait five decades to have one matchup. Like, Coastal Carolina and BYU played 
in like a week's notice, they basically said, hey, man, we have an open spot. Do you want to play? And they got it done. Simple as that. only took BYU and Coastal Carolina a week to set up a game. Why is it taking us three, four decades to schedule one game, one week, one game? That makes absolutely no sense. The playoffs is not the problem in college football. Expanding the college football playoffs shouldn't be in anybody's forefront mind right now. What we need to be doing, we need to get the hashtag fixed college football scheduling trending right now because that's what is affecting this sport more than the freaking college football playoffs. That's not the issue. If you fix scheduling, then you give G5 schools a better opportunity of getting in because if they're good, and they're like a Cincinnati, they can beat some of these quality teams, then they're going to boost up their resume because now they don't have to wait years in advance to finally get a chance of trying to play the big boys to improve their resume. The scheduling system in college football makes absolutely no sense. I don't even know who started this trend of scheduling games 30 years in advance. It's stupid. Why can't we just go ahead and say, hey, man, do you want to play next year? Yes, and go ahead and set it up. Why do we have to wait so many years in advance? It makes absolutely no sense. It's one of the dumbest things in this world. Like, there are so many dumb things in this world. Like, NFTs are dumb. You know, the fact that, you know, they put, um, uh, they sell these bag of chips with air in it. Like, why am I buying a bag of chips that's worth $5 and it's a lot of air in it? You get what I'm saying? I want more chips. I should not be opening a bag of chips and, you know, the first three meters in, I'm just feeling nothing of air. Like, as soon as I open the bag, that thing should be filled to the top with chips. Shouldn't I be having to worry about no air? And college football scheduling is one of the stupidest things in this world right now that needs to be fixed. Everybody's so focused on expanding the college football playoffs and you're going to fix the sport. We need to fix the sport by first starting off with fixing the scheduling. And just go ahead and make a little of department in the athletic community that just goes ahead and they assemble the scheduling. Or maybe, you know, you have like a little classic, like college basketball does this. Like you have like a Big 12 versus SEC little thing going on. Like do that, you know, have like the MAC Conference versus the American or the American versus the Big 12. You know, have like a SEC versus ACC challenge or kickoff classic or something like that like let's stop this nonsense of scheduling games a hundred years in advance because it's stupid and it's hurting the sport and it needs to be changed so you guys let me know how you guys feel about the college football scheduling how would you guys change it what changes need to be made let me know what you guys would do to fix this problem because quite frankly I don't really understand why it takes so long to get games set up. Like BYU and Cincinnati literally played and one week. They set the game up. They came to the agreement. They had ESPN there. Everybody's going to talk about some, well, JT, you have to think about, you know, the television broadcasting, you know, schedule, like how they're going to schedule around the game and whatnot. Like ESPN was there when BYU and Coastal Carolina played. It was one of the biggest games of the year. If it's a big game going on, it's going to get set up. And it's not like it's gonna be on short notice like if you schedule a game like a year in advance okay ESPN should have more than enough time or Fox should have more than enough time to go ahead get a crew set up for that game you don't really need 10 or 100 years to have a crew set up for a game all it really should do is it should be like that 
So you guys let me know how you guys feel about this. Make sure that you guys go ahead, like the video, and subscribe to the channel if you are listening to this on YouTube. Also, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every video that is uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. All you got to do is click the link in the description down below if you're watching this on YouTube or go ahead and type in the JT Sports Podcast on any single podcasting platform that you use, and it should pop up. Also, make sure that you leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you guys later with another edition of the JT Sports Podcast. If you were to walk up to a random group of NFL fans and say, hey, who do you guys feel was the most disappointing team from this season, the majority of them probably would say the Cleveland Browns. Now, the Cleveland Browns had a lot of high expectations from a lot of people in the media. There were a good amount of people who picked the Cleveland Browns to win the AFC Conference and make it to the Super Bowl. And obviously, we know that the Browns failed to live up to those lofty expectations. They're not going to make it to the playoffs. And many people are putting the Browns' disappointing season all on the shoulders of Baker Mayfield. And that leads to probably one of the biggest conversations that's probably going to be discussed in the NFL offseason. It's going to be, what is Baker Mayfield's future with the Cleveland Browns? Now, when it comes to this discussion, there's not really a lot of fair objectivity. You know, you have... A lot of people who don't like Baker Mayfield, who are Baker Mayfield critics, and you have a lot of Baker Mayfield fans who are diehard Baker Mayfield fans, and I feel like, you know, the feelings of both parties are heavily involved. Nobody's really looking at this thing objectively. Everybody's just looking at this thing based on how they feel about Baker Mayfield. When you look at the majority of the national media, guys like Colin Coward, who weren't really big on Baker Mayfield, don't really like his character, don't really like his personality. They put the Browns fell season all on his shoulders. They basically say, hey, the Browns missed the playoffs all because because of Baker Mayfield and then you have the Baker Mayfield diehards who say you know it wasn't Baker Mayfield's fault so when I look at this argument and you try to assess this thing you look at the Baker Mayfield critics okay they're going to say well Baker Mayfield shouldn't be brought back he's not a good quarterback he's inaccurate makes bad decisions and that is understandable you know some people do question his leadership abilities I don't think he's a bad leader at all and then you have the diehard Baker Mayfield fans who defend Baker Mayfield and their main premise of their argument is that You know, we need to give Baker Mayfield another opportunity and Baker Mayfield should come back because he's the best quarterback that the Browns have ever had. Now, you know, it is pretty fair to say that Baker Mayfield probably is the best quarterback in Browns history, but I don't really think that's saying that much because the Browns haven't really had any great quarterbacks, but Baker Mayfield probably has you know, been the best QB that the Browns have had in a while. He's probably brought the most stability to the position that they haven't seen in some years. Then 
you look at, you know, what Baker Mayfield fans used to say at the start of the year to defend Baker Mayfield. They used to say, man, it's Odell. Odell Beckham is holding Baker Mayfield back. Baker Mayfield is struggling because he's trying to force feed Odell Beckham the ball. Well, the Cleveland Browns ended up releasing Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham got signed by the Los Angeles Rams. He's having a career resurgence with the Rams and the Browns and... Baker Mayfield still struggled, so couldn't use that anymore. Then they say, well, JT, Baker Mayfield has been injured all year. And, you know, I understand that and I agree with that. Baker Mayfield has played injured with a shoulder injury for pretty much the whole entire season. and He hasn't really been 100%. Now, Baker Mayfield is going to remain in Cleveland and he's going to be the starting quarterback you know, this is just my prediction because the Browns did pick up his fifth year option. And I'm not going to put all of the blame on Baker Mayfield for why the Browns season went the way that it did, because that would be unfair to him. And on top of that, I don't really think that he deserves all of the criticism. You know, he deserves a good amount of it. But Kevin Stefanski, deserves a good amount of blame because you look at his play calling and his decision making at times this year you know your starting quarterback is injured so why are you continuing to overly rely on him to throw the football especially there has been a lot of occasions when the Browns have had success running the ball during games and they would just get away from the run game and try to throw the football instead despite the fact that the rushing attack with Nick Chubb is being highly effective so Kevin Stefanski hasn't really been, you know, the greatest when it comes to handling Baker Mayfield. On top of that, I question why Cleveland would even put Baker Mayfield in a situation to have to play in games when they know he's not even close to being 80%. Now you can say, well, JT, they feel like Baker Mayfield gives them the best chance to win. So they had to start him. I don't really think that's true because you look at Case Keenum, Case Keenum won the game for the Cleveland Browns. Okay. And the Browns have been in several positions when Baker Mayfield wasn't able to go that they had opportunities to win without Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield isn't a great quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback. He's a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. So it's not like a 80% Baker Mayfield gives you a good chance to win. You can make that argument for Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, or, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You know, 80% Aaron Rodgers is still better than uh, the majority of quarterbacks in the league. A 80% Patrick Mahomes is better than the majority of quarterbacks in the league. A 80% Baker Mayfield probably isn't all that great. So I'm still figuring out, you know, why the Browns still continue to allow Baker Mayfield to play despite the fact that they knew he was injured, they knew he was banged up, and they knew that they probably weren't going to get great performances out of him considering the fact that he was banged up. So why not go ahead and start a guy like Case Keenum, a guy who you have won a game with to run your offense? And it's not like anything really changes when it comes to Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield because the Browns fall philosophy on offense is running the football and utilizing play action and taking shots downfield and on top of that Case Keenum and Kevin Stefanski already have a good connection from their time spent in Minnesota so the drop off from Baker Mayfield to Case Keenum isn't all that big they still could have 
you know, let Baker Mayfield miss a couple of games, let him somewhat heal up from his injury, and they still probably could have been competitive with Case Keenum at quarterback. So I feel like a good amount of blame has to be placed on the shoulders of head coach Kevin Stefanski because I definitely feel like the Browns mismanaged this situation with Baker Mayfield. They rushed him. They forced him to play through injury. And on top of that, you know, Baker Mayfield, of course, he's one of the toughest players in the NFL. I respect him a lot. I admire his toughness. I like his attitude. Baker Mayfield is somebody who is highly driven. He's highly motivated. But at the same time, there was no way that Baker Mayfield was going to say, oh man, I'm not going to play, even though he knew he wasn't fully healthy. He tried to be macho man and, you know, it kind of backfired because he wasn't able to put the same kind of touches on his throws with that shoulder injury and he just wasn't really the same quarterback. And on top of that, Baker Mayfield, his career in Cleveland has been inconsistent. His rookie season was really good. And then remember after that, after his rookie season, he had a sophomore slump. Then, you know, Kevin Stefanski comes in, he bounces back. And then this season, you know, he's right back down again. So, you know, he's been heavily inconsistent throughout his Cleveland Browns tenure. And that's a big reason why the Cleveland Browns are right now on the fence when it comes to giving Baker Mayfield an extension. And, you know, the fact that, you know, he's trying to get a new contract also probably factors into the reason why he decided to continue to play through his injury because he was trying to prove to Cleveland that hey man I'm the guy I can get it done healthy or not healthy I want my contract extension so I also feel like that's probably another reason why Baker Mayfield continued to play with the injury that he had and then on top of that I also think it would be unfair if we didn't note that the Browns had a stretch during this season where they got hit by injuries and they got hit by COVID really hard. There were times when the Cleveland Browns were missing a good amount of their starters, not only at the wide receiver position, but also on the offensive line as well. And even though a lot of people are going to make the argument and say that, well, JT, there are other quarterbacks who have had to win with, you know, not having their best player and so whatnot. I understand that. But, you know, those are guys who we consider to be elite quarterbacks. Those are guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes who we expect to be able to produce despite not having their best players available. Baker Mayfield, we already know what he is. He's an average to above above average quarterback, which means that he has to have talent around him to be effective. He's not a guy who can carry your team on a week-to-week basis without some of your best players. So when we're comparing Patrick Mahomes and some of the best quarterbacks to Baker Mayfield, not really, you know, a fair comparison because those quarterbacks are on a different level, a different stratosphere than what Baker Mayfield is. Those guys can still win games despite missing out on some of their best weapons on offense. Baker Mayfield can. He's not good to overcome that. That's why he's an average to an above average quarterback at best. So with the Cleveland Browns dealing with COVID and dealing with injuries, that also kind of hurt Baker Mayfield. Plus he was hurt as well. So you look at the Baker Mayfield critics and they say, well, he's not that good. Okay, duh. We knew Baker Mayfield wasn't all that good. We knew what Baker Mayfield was. He, at his best, is a top 12 quarterback. That's his peak. Now, you look at Baker Mayfield moving forward. He's probably going to come back because the Browns have already picked up his fifth year option. But what are they going to do to the quarterback room? 
And I think that there is going to be a couple of scenarios that are going to play out for how Cleveland is going to handle this Baker Mayfield situation. One, they most likely will end up signing a veteran in free agency to come in and maybe give some competition to Baker Mayfield. Now, you probably are going to say, well, JT, don't they already have Case Keenum? Yes, but the fact that they were hell-bent on keeping Mayfield Mayfield the starting quarterback despite the fact that he was injured and they weren't comfortable enough to allow Baker Mayfield to rest a couple of games and start Case Keenum tells you a little bit about how they feel about Case Keenum they felt that Baker Mayfield even with him not being 100% was still better than Case Keenum so that shows you that you know their backup quarterback situation probably needs to be addressed now the quarterback market isn't great at least in terms of free agency you know the best available option that you're probably going to have out there in free agency is probably going to be Jameis Winston and that's if the Saints decide to let him go and they can't resign him so outside of Jameis Winston you know there's not a lot of viable free agency options there then Cleveland probably could go the route of you know trading for you know a veteran quarterback maybe they trade for a guy like Marcus Mariota if Baker Mayfield doesn't work out they already traded for Marcus Mariota you probably give up a four fifth round pick for him if Baker Mayfield fizzles out during the 2022 NFL season you start Marcus Mariota and go from there or you can trade for a guy like Garden Minshew with the Philadelphia Eagles. You probably could give up a third or fourth round pick and get Garden Minshew. And Garden Minshew would fit very well in that Kevin Stefanski system. Then, scenario number two, you could go a similar route that the Philadelphia Eagles went. Now, I don't really know if Baker Mayfield would like this route, but remember when Philadelphia got a lot of hate because they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round? Well, it looked like that decision kind of paid off for them because Carson Wentz absolutely fell apart during that season. Jalen Hurts came in, showed some flashes. They traded Carson Wentz in the offseason. They named Jalen Hurts a starter. They gave him an opportunity to prove himself. And we still don't know if Jalen Hurts is the guy. They're probably still assessing him. They're still probably going to want to see at least one more year of high-level play out of Jalen Hurts before they fully look at him as the franchise QB but he has looked very good so far his first season as the full-time starter for Philadelphia and when you look at the Cleveland Browns you know there are a good amount of options at quarterback in this upcoming draft class that you could look at Desmond Ritter could be available in the second round you also have guys like um out of Nevada Carson Strong so you're going to have some good options out there when it comes to the draft if you want to bring in a young rookie quarterback to come in and sit behind Baker Mayfield and challenge him and if he doesn't play up to expectations you can end up putting them in and on top of that if they perform well they're going to be on a rookie deal so you're going to save cash space you don't have to invest a lot of money into them then okay the third option probably they remain with Case Keenum as their backup and then eventually if Baker Mayfield continues to underperform they finally give over the reins to Case Keenum but overall you know this is 
something that's going to be really intriguing to watch because for the Browns you know you need good quarterback play out of Baker Mayfield you're going to need him to make some throws you're going to need him to be more accurate you're going to need him to make better decisions but I feel like Baker Mayfield probably will bounce back because that's kind of how his career has been. It's been up and down. He'll have a great year. Next season, he'll have a slump. Then he'll bounce back. Then he'll have a slump again. And then he'll bounce back again. That's kind of what Baker Mayfield has been. And that's the large reason why Cleveland's hesitant on giving him an extension. And also, Baker Mayfield understands what's at risk. He understands that you know, this upcoming, well, next season, 2022, is probably going to be his last opportunity to show the Browns that he is the guy who can lead this franchise for years to come. He understands that, you know, if he does perform, that he most likely won't get another shot to be the starting quarterback for the Browns in the near future. So he understands what's at stake. And I think that was a large reason why he continued to fight through and play through the injuries, even though he knew in his heart and his soul that he probably wasn't going to be able to get the job done simply for the fact that the you know how much of a toll the injuries were taking on his body but I feel like Baker Mayfield definitely will bounce back I expect him to be the starting quarterback for the Browns going into the 2020 NFL season they will bring in some competition I'm pretty sure about that now I would be extremely shocked if this scenario played out and they end up being heavily aggressive and they traded for a guy like Deshaun Watson and traded away Baker Mayfield in the trade, I'd be surprised if they went out and tried to trade for Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr or Russell Wilson. I'd be extremely shocked because, you know, then you would have to get rid of Baker Mayfield. I don't really think that the Browns are going to go, you know, that hard when it comes to trying to bring in some competition for Baker Mayfield or trying to upgrade at the quarterback position because I really do feel like the Browns don't want to get rid of Baker Mayfield. They do like Baker Mayfield and Baker Mayfield has been, you know, a stabilizing force at the quarterback position for the Browns. And that's why a lot of Browns fans have went so hard when it comes to defending him. But you also have to realize that there has been a lot of games this year when his decision making hasn't been the best. His footwork has been kind of sloppy. So, I'm expecting Baker Mayfield to have a bounce back year in 2022. That's just my early prediction. His surgery is going to be on the way. He's not going to play week 18. And it's going to be really intriguing to see how Baker Mayfield ends up panning out for the Cleveland Browns. This is probably going to be his last year. And this is going to be a make or break year for Baker Mayfield. You know, it's going to be prove it. You play good, you get a new contract. You don't play good, we're not going to resign you. We're going to let you test the waters and free agency. So you guys let me know how you guys feel about Baker Mayfield down in the comment section down below. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, YouTube. Make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform. Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available. All you got to do is go to whichever podcasting service that you use, type in the JT Sports Podcast. It should pop up. Or you can go to the description, scroll down a little bit, and it will take you to the links to the Apple and Spotify podcast. Make sure that you go ahead and leave a five-star review, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and I will see you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.